Gators, gators, how'd you like to bite my ass? With your stupid blue jerseys and your stupid orange britches, you can go to hell, you sons of bitches. Gators, gators, how'd you like to bite my ass? One more time, how'd you like to bite my ass? Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today, uh, we are going to talk about the Florida game. This is my favorite episode every year, but before we do that, we want to we mention that this episode is sponsored again by GoMed, our favorite on-demand medical service uh, provider, and also the only one that pays us. Hey, those are two totally unrelated things. Yeah, but they're our favorite, for sure. You'll hear more about them at the break, though. You absolutely will. So let's get into it. So we are going to do our normal uh, preview process, probably with a lot more yelling. Uh, but we, you'll be happy to hear from right off the top that this is going to be a very, very stats-heavy, um, very stats-heavy episode. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do our objective. Uh, we're going to do our subjective previews, and we're going to do SCBC, and we're going to rant. But we also have lots of good, good stats for you today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in the in the stats faithful. So oh, yeah. let's uh, let's talk about it. So I, I started doing this new thing that I got the, the idea from on our last episode that I kind of did um, kind of on a whim. But in the subjective narratives segment, what I wanted to do was actually, so I just Googled, I looked up Georgia, Florida news, and then I looked up Georgia, Florida hot takes. And I looked, I just kind of went from there and I grabbed a few pieces from Twitter as well, but God I just went you. through <laughs> the, uh, just the crap, crap shoot that is Twitter, but. Uh, I went through and I just grabbed some of the like the hottest, most ridiculous uh, article titles and just quips and hot takes I could find. And I just wanted to read some of those off here just so we could kind of talk about it. Uh, and then we can kind of add what else we're hearing as well in addition to these things. But we can kind of talk about these and kind of tell you like where we're coming from and what we're trying to break down. So as we typically do, we start with the big subjective pieces and we break it down until it's the most objective, robotic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, statistically empirical piece of data you can possibly find and so we can talk about football intelligently and not get mad at each other when nobody knows the truth and the facts uh so getting right into it my very first and favorite article i found was can georgia enjoy third and grantham for a change (laughs) that's that's um yeah (laughs) it's pretty good i think i'm not going to say where they're from necessarily i I will say a few of them because they're some of them are important as to where they're from but (laughs) yeah 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 those that are indoctrinated, can you wanna do you wanna share what Third and Grantham is, maybe for newer dogs? Yeah, so Todd Grantham was the former is the former DC two DCs ago at UGA. Now, before I get into this talking about Third and Grantham, I will say uh, Grantham was the first defensive coordinator we had after Willie Martinez, so he actually did improve the defense quite a bit. Yeah, he's a, he's a competent defensive coordinator, and like the biggest thing to me that got me. Um, with him was that like generally speaking people seem to know like how to play football which was not always the case when we had william martinez as our defensive coordinator um but yeah so third uh, grantham has sort of two uh reputations one is that he blitzes the crap out of the quarterback i mean just he'll bring a full house blitz like four or five times a game and and on third down he blitzes 
very consistently blitzes like very consistently he'll just bring like eight guys the so the other thing about him the other reputation he has is that his especially earlier this has gotten a little better i think but especially earlier in his career his defense was like prohibitively complicated um he has an nfl background he's definitely not like from the saban tree he runs a three four but he runs a like two gap three so long story but he runs a one gap three four UJ generally runs a two-gap, three-four. It doesn't matter. But one of the things about him is that he's an NFL. He has an NFL background, and his like pretty much exclusively his reputation when he was at UGA was that there would just be a lot of times on third down when all the players would look over to the sideline and just be like, "Hey, what the hell are we doing?" Yeah, <laughs> about two or three times a game. So third and Grantham was the idea. Was the sort of the the really consistent. Um, the really consistent pattern that would that would happen where we would play great on first and second down and then we would um on third down we would get them into third and long and we would get up like we would give up like a 17 yard screen or like a 17 yard uh wheel route we could never defend the screen or the wheel route and sometimes that was because we were in the wrong place and sometimes it was because like the players just didn't know where they were and then sometimes it was because like we would bring nine guys on a play and then they would have a screen for a touchdown which is still kind of the case. And furthermore, with that article, I, I did read a lot of pieces that Florida is super excited about Todd Grantham, and they're very, very uh, thankful for him being there. And just like you said, like he is a, a competent defensive coordinator, and the stats yeah, will also yeah. back that up, which we'll mm-hmm. get into a little bit no, later. No, he absolutely is, yeah. Footprint. Uh, the second article I found was UGA fans get chuckle out of Florida's touting of Todd Grantham. So that was that backup there. Um, yeah, yeah. The, coming at it from another direction. Yeah. Uh, and then I went into the, to the Twitter crapshoot. The very first one was uh, Justin Fields will eventually win the starting job. It's inevitable. Not saying it will happen this season, but it will happen. I don't know if it's inevitable, but I mean, I agree. Yes, he will. But <laughs> I don't know if I would say like, yes, he 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another hot take yeah. was, and this is a quote, the only way I see Georgia having a chance to win the national championship is with Justin Fields at QB. That's a dangerous comment, I will say. Real quick. I mean, I don't think we're winning either way exactly. this year. But, I mean, I. it's funny because, like, that's a, kind of a stupid hot take. But on the one hand, I kind of agree. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I agree that to beat Alabama, you need a high ceilinged quarterback. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I think of the two, we can agree that like, just in terms of pure athleticism, that Justin Fields has the higher ceiling. But I also don't think that's, I also don't think we should say, I think it's okay to say, hey, Georgia has a better chance of beating Alabama for the national championship with Justin Fields. Uh, But I don't know if it's okay to say Georgia cannot win a national championship without Justin Fields, if that makes any sense. It definitely makes sense. Just because that's the only reason I was, uh, I wasn't a big fan of this because it's just dangerous rhetoric because if we end the season with jake Fromm and we have a decent season maybe we go 10 and 2 or 11 and 2 even who knows um or 10 and 3 whatever we still had a good season but Mm -hmm. this is just setting people up for that you know further conversation throughout the off season when we should just Mm -hmm. be letting people you know letting the team alone and letting them do their thing and letting them develop further but well and the thing is well uh, this kind of relates to your i mean this relates to the the first one is um to your the the first Twitter thing you had, I actually think Justin Fields probably eventually will win the mm-hmm. starting job, just because oh, yeah. I think his ceiling's that much higher. Um, and I also think Justin Fields can win a national championship, but I don't like. Let's not act like this is fate accompli, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. All right. So there's actually 
This one, this one I actually kind of agree with, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, it was, it's just from Bill Connolly. So our stats god, Bill Connolly said, Justin Fields was like the top prospect in the universe last year. If you're going to use him, maybe use him. And it's in little stars to just kind of emphasize that. Yeah. If you're going to put him out there, then, then play him. This is my criticism. My criticism of Kirby is not about his handling of the quote unquote quarterback controversy. It's specifically about his handling of the quarterback rotation. Those are two different things. I think that there's a middle path where you say Justin or Jake Fromm's the starter and Justin Fields is going to get playing time in meaningful places and meaningful games. And I think it's okay to put him in there as someone who is either a decoy on a run or just doing run plays, especially considering that like, you need a spark in good games mm-hmm. or in big games. I feel like as soon as we get to the big games, we just don't put him in. Yeah. I, I don't feel like that. I know that's objectively what happened. You know what I mean? He had yeah. the same number of care. I mean, he had like one carry, I think against LSU. Yes. So I don't know. I just, <laughs> it's, it's very frustrating to me. That actually, uh, I have another quote here from West Blankenship. Uh, UGA kicker Rodrigo Blankenship had as many carries as Justin Fields did versus LSU, <laughs> which was yeah, exactly I mean, one. So that that would be my criticism, and and I think that criticism also kind of relates to the Elijah Holyfield thing, where it's like you you have a lot of weapons on this offense, and tr- it just feels dumb not to use them, especially when some aren't working. Like the pass game just wasn't working, so it's like why why run your head against this wall? I, I don't know. Um, you got this one, this Kirby quote, I think is interesting. Yeah. He says, I think you guys make a bigger deal about QB competition than Justin Fields and Jake Fromm do. You're talking about two huge UGA fans. They want what's best for the team. I don't think they'd be where they are in their careers if they weren't great competitors. I mean, see, here's the thing. I even kind of agree with that. I think Kirby's right. I think that they, I think the competition is not the issue right now for this team. The issue is, you know, the, do you have, are you, are you using the people that you have on the team adequately after the competition that's the issue and i don't think we are yeah and so those are the pieces that i have from subjective narratives but what do you have um to add to any of this pieces not necessarily pertaining to what we already have but other narratives you're hearing oh i've got a couple yeah oh yeah i can't you missed you missed like a really obvious one. Oh, i know uh, I, I wanted i didn't want to take everything though i, I you wanted, wanted to give you wanted you to wait for me to tee yeah. off on this one oh yeah um <laughs> so our favorite player um our favorite player tim tebow mm-hmm. um he said that he basically said that look at the effort for lsu versus defensive lineman for georgia uh, i'm jogging i could have made the play but i didn't want to if you're a georgia defensive player that is embarrassing and you're getting called out on the play three players were jogging to the football any one of them could have made the tackle lsu you weren't jogging to the football that's why you dominated so then hold on we're not done <laughs> he, keeps he said going. that he said that we were pulling up plays and that our lack of effort was shocking jesse and so tim tebow said that we gave up at lsu and then jesse palmer another former florida quarterback so surprised he would think this said that florida is the more confident team between the two going into the game last time we saw georgia it was a plenty 20 point loss at lsu meanwhile the gators have won five in a row when you look at those two teams, I love Florida's defense. They're so dominant on that side of all. They do such a good job as anyone in the country in getting after the quarter and creating takeaways. Uh, the biggest takeaway for the game, we're watching Bulldogs lose to LSU, is Jake Fromm really struggled in the first half of the game. He struggled with accuracy, missed some hots, missed some adjustments, and defended. And against a defense like Florida, they're going to need Jake Fromm to show up with his A game. Yeah, so that's another hot take. I think the general, the, if you were going to go for like, what is the general subjective narrative going in this? It's that like, Oh, well, Georgia might be more talented, but Florida's got, you know, momentum and Georgia is coming off a loss and they don't look confident and they don't know who they are. Actually, in that um, in the third and Grantham thing, 
that you can Georgia enjoy a third and game for a change. There's a big quote in there about how like Georgia doesn't know who it is. It's absurd. So, yeah, it is pretty absurd. So I'm, I'm trying to save. I'm trying to keep all the anger in. Uh, it's just gonna build up. This is like a roller coaster ride. We're just going up the hill right yeah. now, getting ready. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, go ahead. So go. <laughs> Uh, now that we got the narratives out of the way, we're going to get right into what do we know about UF, complete with a quick snapshot of their history uh, yeah, 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 in relation yeah, yeah. to Georgia and also a little bit of history of the program. But uh, just a few of my favorite pieces. The series right now is uh, one of two things. It's either the Florida side or the Georgia side, as often um, is the case with some of these big rivalries. One team has an idea of what the record is. Another team has another. But the very first meeting was in 1904. Uh, according to Georgia. It was in Macon. It was played against uh, Florida and Georgia. It was a 52-0 win <clears throat> in favor of Georgia. Uh, Florida does not recognize this as a game that was uh, played against them because this was one of the colleges within what would eventually become modern-day University of Florida. It was with the uh, the Florida Agricultural College, and so they say that one doesn't count. Um, since then, though, they have played every year since 1926. They did meet for the first time in Jacksonville in 1915. They played, like I said, uh, every year since 1926, a few times in uh, Gainesville, a few times in Athens. But for the most part, it has been at a neutral site since then uh, in Jacksonville. So for Florida, it is a 50-43-2 uh, record. And then for Georgia, it's 51-43-2 record. So just that one game back in 1904 is the one that they question. A few more things. The largest margin of victory was in 1942 in favor of Georgia. It was a 75 to zero lead. Jeez. And then nice. <laughs> Florida does have the um, like if you look down the record, I'm looking at Winsipedia, looking down like all of the uh, like the wins all time, Heisman winners, NFL draft picks, yada yada yada. Florida has had more success in the AP poll. They've had more success in their players going on to the NFL. Uh, they've had more Heisman winners, but just by one, they've had three Heisman winners, one of those being Steve Spurrier. Uh, they have three national championships to our two. Uh, we do have a better all-time record at 814, 421, 54 to their 720, 416, 40. Uh, we have 14 conference championships and they have eight and our bowl record is still better. So, you know, it, you give and you take, they seem to have, uh, they've had a, a sort of a, an interesting dynasty where people have gone on to play better, uh, later in life. Uh, but and not also, by much more. I mean, the other joke is that like Florida football didn't begin until 1995. Yeah. Because like other than when Steve Spurrier was playing there, they were pretty bad. They were pretty and bad. Steve's, yeah. And then when he became the coach, they got good. They got anyway, really good. Carry on. One of my favorite pieces, I talked about the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. That comes from the 1950s when a sports editor for the Florida Times Union named Bill Castells named it the uh, world's largest outdoor cocktail party because he saw... A drunken, stumbling uh, fan. He doesn't say what kind of fan, whether it's Florida or Georgia. But uh, on this podcast, we're going to guess it's a Florida Florida fan. Mm -hmm. uh, offer an alcoholic beverage to an on-duty police officer. And so he called <laughs> it the cocktail party. Uh, That's not shocking. Yeah. Uh, it was super popular in Jacksonville, and they kept using it uh, to, you know, of course, market all sorts of things, which you can still find it today in unofficial capacities at restaurants, yeah, bars, etc. In about 2005, they stopped... No, it was a little bit after that. In the early 2000s, they basically stopped uh, calling it that. So the, the, the school stopped calling it that because there were so many issues with drunk and disorderly um, arrests yeah. and overdrinking and abuse of alcohol and all those sorts of things. But what I really liked was uh, this rivalry is different than a lot of other college sports rivalries because originally, historically, it was not played for a trophy up until 2009. But 
in the past, because it wasn't played uh, for a trophy, the fans would kind of make their own trophies in a way. And so in 1985 and 1986, Florida won the first year, Georgia won the second year in that series, and the uh, the goalposts were both torn down in <laughs> uh, you know both back to back years because they were you know it's a huge rivalry and following that in, in an effort to keep the teams from tearing the goalposts down Jacksonville tried to say like hey instead of you guys tearing down the goalposts how about we give you the goalposts as a trophy <laughs> so you can just have <laughs> yeah. them but yeah. neither university ever wanted them <laughs> but it did stop that issue um, but in both years they were right around like 50 or 60 arrests that that came from those incidents which I thought was pretty nuts too but the Okefenokee or was a thing that started in 2009 where both student government associations decided to make their own trophy it's made from a hundred year old cypress tree it's 10 feet long it was donated anonymously to the university of florida in 09 and a bunch of different symbols are carved into both to represent both teams and just kind of the rivalry over the year but Okefenokee swamp is of course that swamp that borders the florida georgia line just like jacksonville supposedly does to be a neutral Ish. site yeah <laughs> and uh so that that's kind of the thing but it's not presented at the game it's not a part of the game necessarily it's something that's presented to the body president of the winning university later yeah and so. usually last uh i think two years or last year when we won it came back on the back on the Sousa track <laughs> that's pretty awesome uh, bec- yeah they gave it to us they're like get this back and so <laughs> we put all the Sousas up and then they were like hey we got this big ore <laughs> it's like uh okay I, all right we'll put, it, we'll put it back here and then i had a little just a, a little anecdotal piece about the florida georgia series i i like that steve spurrier exists i don't like what he did to georgia <laughs> as a coach uh everywhere he coached and also as a player because he's an outstanding player that won the heisman i i just really enjoy the legacy that is steve spurrier and so i have a little piece a little story from the, the days of steve spurrier back in 1966 when the gators were ranked seventh in the polls they came into this game seven and zero. they were a huge favorite uh, steve spurrier had already been locked up for the heisman trophy at this point and he was coming off like a, just a lights out performance against auburn and so this game they were like we're gonna be fine this will be great and they came into this game and got just totally dominated spurrier threw three interceptions georgia won 27 10 and a quote from the all-american defensive tackle bill stanfill god uh, i love bill stanfill <laughs> He later said, um, in reference to Spurrier, in recounting his experiences growing up on a farm in southwest Georgia uh, before the advent of weightlifting, he said, holding pigs for my dad to castrate was quite a challenge. I can't say that helped prepare me for football, but it sure did remind me an awful lot of sacking Steve Spurrier. So that's our history lesson for today. (laughs) Here's how I feel about the way I feel about Steve Spurrier is the way Voltaire feels about God. Voltaire (laughs) said that if God didn't exist, it would be necessary to invent him. Uh And I feel that way about Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier is like our Joker. Oh, I hate him. I hate him, but it's like he completes me. Maybe Mm -hmm. he's our Batman. I don't know. Nah, he's the Joker. He's the Joker. Yeah. We got to be Batman, right? Vigilante Justice. Yeah, I also just feel like he's the he's the Joker because like he's sort of like a um, an asshole. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I think Kirby anyway. Smart definitely fills my Batman my my Batman hole, my Batman need because he is the like of course the the coach we need, but not the one we deserve. Of course, oh uh, he yeah after the last couple of weeks of like talk and dog. Oh for sure, and he's also the one we need to take down the the kingpin that is and uh, now mixing universes, but the kingpin that is Nick Saban. Yeah, it's okay. There are crossovers. Yeah, there's some DC Marvel crossovers. Ooh, anyway, is Nick Saban is Nick Saban if he was a villain would he be the kingpin? I need to think. No, I don't think he would. I think no. Nick Saban would be like Galactus. 
Ooh. Galacticus. Yeah. Like the planet eater. Probably, yeah. He'd definitely right? be one of the like living tribunal folks, one of those folks. Oh, yeah. He'd be like an immortal. Mm-hmm. And like the only way to beat him is just to distract him mm-hmm. <laughs> or to like get him to go somewhere else. <laughs> you know what this means? It means that Kirby in this, in this metaphor is the silver surfer. He was oh. like a herald. He was a herald of Galactus, and then he turned against Galactus, and he goes around and tries to prevent him from eating planets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we're going to write an article about Marvel heroes and how they relate to SEC teams and coaches. Oh man, that would be a good Ask CBC question. Get on it, folks. I, I, I have I have a bunch of I have a bunch of thoughts about this, and then like Galactus is actually like his name's Galen in real life, and he he was like the last survivor of this incarnation of Earth. Or not Earth, but this inter- incarnation of the multiverse where, like, he basically decided that he had to become all-powerful because of the death of his family. It's a, it's a big, long thing. And he ends up, like, basically eating his own universe. Um, and so, like, when you see him at some point, he's just, like, a normal-sized guy. And he's just, like, super short and weird-looking. And, like, that's perfect, right? Everybody thinks he's the size of a planet. But when you get down to it, he's actually a super short guy. Mm-hmm. Perfect, I, perfect Nick Saban. I want you to know that I just Googled... Uh... SEC coaches as Marvel superheroes and yeah. I opened it and I was like oh neat this is back from 2013 and the very first example was Johnny Manziel is Peter Parker and I complete I just X'd out right away <laughs> it's like nope your opinion doesn't matter yeah not not at all not at all is he Peter Parker and Johnny Manziel Johnny Manziel is like the guy is uh Eddie Eddie Brock he's Venom way more than he is Peter Parker Peter Parker's a nice person Peter Parker doesn't get a drunken disorderly no he's the everyman He's the common average person. Everybody relates to him. Anyway, you want to talk about data? Yeah, let's talk about data. Hit me with it. Okay, so um, Florida S&P Plus update going into this game. They're 6-1. They have 5.7 second order wins. So basically they're a six-man team. They're in the 89.3rd percentile of S&P Plus. Their overall S&P Plus rank is 14th. They are the 32nd ranked offense and the 19th ranked defense and the 9th ranked special teams. They went up. They went down one last week from 13 to 14. You know, that seems about right. This is a very good defensive team. They're playing very well under uh, Grantham. They, they've been able to basically bring a lot of pressure and cover in single coverage really well behind it to this point this year. And that's like really fueled a lot of their success. They have a very good punter. Um, which is like one, I think, decided advantage that they have because Jake Marta, despite all of his talent, has not done a super great job this year as a punter. He's, he's shanked a lot. So that's one kind of concern. Let's see. If we go through our five actors, Mr. Bray has done a very <laughs> awesome job of putting together a comparative chart of the five factors. So let's just read through these offensive categories and then maybe we can just highlight like where the big advantages are on either side. Okay, so Florida this year is offensively, they're 15th in efficiency, 19th in explosiveness. They are, are 15th in success rate, 19th in marginal efficiency, uh, 98th in ISOPPP plus, and 78th in marginal explosiveness. They are 21st in average field position, 39th in points per scoring opportunity, 13th in expected turnover margin, and um, 8th in actual turnover margin. UGA offensively is 7th in success rate, 4th in marginal efficiency, 17th in ISO PCP, ISO PCP, Jesus, much different, 17th in ISO PPP, 22nd in uh, marginal explosiveness, 95th in average field position, um, 34th in finishing drives, points per scoring opportunity, 27th in expected turnover margin, and 44th in actual turnover margin. So anything, what are, what are the big discrepancies that you see there that are, you think are worth looking at? I think 
well, one of the subjective narratives, we really it really isn't subjective because it's definitely stats-based, but one of the pieces that we're hearing a lot of is, and I expect from this game, is that Florida is going to most likely use um, their efficiency against us. Uh, and, and we'll get more into that into the defensive footprint, so we'll probably see a lot more uh, just of a run game. They're just going to try to control the ball as often as and you know as long as possible, I would think. And so those efficiency components, I think, are important to look at. Um, their offense against our defense specifically. Yeah, they have they have the fifteenth and nineteenth ranked efficiency offense in um, success rate marginal efficiency, and we have sixty fifth and twenty eighth. Now that those numbers have actually gotten better, so for us, um, so I'm not that concerned about it. Although I will point out that sort of the reverse of that situation happens in for Florida when it comes to explosiveness because we are the 70, 17th ranked ISO PPP plus offense and 22nd ranked marginal explosiveness and they are 57 and 63rd in those two. So it's sort of one of those things where you know the biggest thing to me one of the biggest consistent advantages they seem to have is field position. Um, they are significantly more turnover lucky than us. So even though they're higher ranked and expected in actual turnover margin a lot of that is turnover luck. I think that comes from specifically that Tennessee game there were like six turnovers. Yeah, so, well, there were like four. There's like a four, four and a half point per game turnover luck differential between these uh-huh. two teams. I think it's important to also, while you're talking about those turnovers, that that four point difference will be huge in this game where the margin is only six and a half points, the expected margin that is. Right. Right. So that'll be um, an interesting piece. So defensively, uh, Florida tenth in success rate, sixteenth in marginal efficiency. It's going to be a good matchup of our efficiency versus their efficiency. Fifty seventh in ISO PPP plus, sixty third marginal explosiveness, eighth in average field position, eighth in points allowed per scoring opportunity. Respect. Uh, on the other hand, UGA is sixty fifth in success rate, twenty eighth in marginal explosiveness, eighth in explosiveness or eight or marginal efficiency, eighth in ISO PPP plus, sixteenth in marginal explosiveness, thirty seventh in average field position, and thirtieth in points per scoring opportunity allowed. Um, UGA, like I said, has negative one point two. Uh, turnover luck points per game and florida has three turnover luck points per game like we're saying there is a there's a discrepancy in field position is there anything else you're seeing from the defensive numbers that make you concerned or thoughtful or whatever i mean because to me the big thing that stands up is like like you were saying they are going to try to kill us with efficiency and that's not something we're very good at and we're going to have to step up yeah that's going to be a huge huge piece if we can't stop the run this game then we're in trouble because if we can't stop the run then when we eventually try and find traction and spin the wheels, so to speak, they're, that's when they're going to try and make an explosive play through the air. And so if we can't stop one, then they're just going to, they're going to, it's not going to look fun. It's not going to be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Felipe Franks is not exactly the most talented quarterback, but he's good enough. And so well, I he's, think, good, he's efficient. Yeah, exactly. Know? So he'll get the job done and he'll, he'll do what they need him to do. So that's what we have to look out for. So do you want to go over the, anything you see from the footprint data that you think is um, worth going over? Are we looking at um, offensive or defensive specifically? What do you think? What do you want? Or just in general? I mean, we don't have to go through all the footprint numbers. I was just wondering if there's anything about you know these are footprint to help everybody else out there when we read these. These are like personal stats, so it's more our personality stats. So it's more just about like not who's better, but like what kind of ball they play. Yeah. Um, well, looking down, if you want to look down on the havoc rate specifically, this mm-hmm. is where third and Grantham comes into play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is how you know that Third and Grantham has been working for this at this point this year. Yeah, their overall right. havoc rate on defense is twenty one point one percent of the time. They're that's good for tenth in the nation. Defensive line havoc rate twelfth. Linebacker havoc rate seventy second. Defensive back eighth. And uh, passes to defense. Or passes defense to in- interceptions. Oh. 
that one. <laughs> yeah. Passes defense to interceptions is 24th. So, yeah. I mean, and their DB havoc rate, I think, has a lot to do with the fact that, like, uh, Grantham loves himself a quarterback blitz or cornerback blitz. So, um, you know, any the only other thing, so obviously they're going to have a havoc rate advantage. And also, I think that just has to do with not, not just. I don't know if that necessarily tells you they have a better defense, but I tell I think it tells you a defense they have a defense that is kind of high high variance. They're either going to sack you or they're going to give up an explosive play. Um, I also think another interesting thing to look at is offensively they're they've got a really high pass down run rate, and I think that just has to do with the fact that uh, Felipe Frank is is a very he's a steady quarterback and he can occasionally hit a play down the field, but he's not really your best like NFL prototypical get a ten yard gain on third and ten that kind of guy. I also think it's interesting that their percentage of solo tackles allowed, which is, is 121st. And so what that tells you, our percentage of solo tackles what, uh, is 121st. And what that tells you is that they they are the kind of team that does not try to get people in an island. If you're 121st in solo tackles, that forced, that means that you don't, you're not throwing it out and trying to get one-on-one uh, opportunities with your fastest guys on the team. Because the people who are high in that stat are like Texas Tech and Washington State, like spread offenses. And that kind of fits with what you know about Dan Mullen. Like he is a spread offense in some sense, but he likes to run the ball. He likes to run short. He likes to do like short, quick passes to, you know, he's got a lot of sort of tricky things he does. So even though he nominally runs a spread, um, it's got a lot more pro concepts to it than you would think. Um, Havoc rate allowed, I think, is another interesting differential. We have the tenth percent havoc rate allowed with for uh, or the tenth havoc tenth rate havoc rate allowed offense uh, at eleven percent, and they have the thirty uh, third. Um, so it's just going to be interesting to see, even though they have an overall like a comparative advantage in havoc rate between the two defenses, um, we are definitely better at preventing havoc rate than they are. And I think that that will definitely come into play in this game. One, because that's what Florida does. And two, because that's been shown as a weakness of Jake Fromm's this season, is that he's just not getting the ball off quick enough has been the big issue. And so I think that if we don't lead with the passing game like we did at LSU and we don't abandon, which is the official opinion of Chapel Bell Curve, abandon the run game like we did at LSU, then I think we have a better chance of, of doing well in this game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do. I, I, I agree. I think... Um... Oh, let, let, let's transition into stats worth highlighting. I mean, I guess we're kind we're of kinda there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So looking a little bit deeper into Florida stats, what you, what you can see in not Liberty, Florida, um, what you can see in their, um, their rushing plus stats is that they are the 56th overall S and P plus rushing defense. And that is really largely fueled, fueled by their rushing marginal explosiveness with his 83rd. Their opportunity rate rate is 55th and their stuff rate is 50th. So this is a team that they're not, they're not actually giving up a lot of efficient runs, but they are giving up some home runs. Um, and that kind of fits with the style of defense are, that they are. They, you know, We talked about against LSU, a lot of the runs came because we had so many guys playing so close to the line of scrimmage. If you're blitzing, if you're run blitzing a lot, you have a lot of guys playing close to the line of scrimmage. And so I think that there's an opportunity for us if we're willing to stick with the run game um, to really make some hay. Um, they're, they're a very good passing defense, far better than they are as a an, an, uh, passing or as a rushing defense. So I really think that we have some, I don't know. I think there are some opportunities if we're willing to stick with the run and just really pound the ball. And I think that's probably going to be the plan because like they have a, some very good defensive ends, some very good defensive tackles in terms of rushing uh, in terms of rushing the passer. But I don't know that they have the, I, well, I know for a fact that they don't have the depth of talent that we do on defense. So even though our talent is inexperienced, they're not going to rotate as much as we do. 
I, I definitely think this will be a low-scoring game because both teams are coming at it from the same angle in a way, uh, at least offensively, uh, you know, with both of these being a, a fairly highly efficient team and um, both teams not being as good against highly efficient teams. I think that'll definitely be kind of the route we take, and we'll kind of see if that turns into explosive plays or not as the game goes on. You know, In the second half, so it you- could definitely wear defenses down. So you've got some really good stats from Ryan Nelson, but before you do that, I want to point something out. Um, one other stat I think that's worth highlighting that we haven't really talked about to this point today um, is just sort of the Jimmy and Joe sides of this. I, I pulled this from Seth Emerson at The Athletic, but this is sort of publicly available information, so I don't mind sharing it. If you look at the last 10 classes per 24-7 sports composite uh, for both of these teams, it's very interesting because in basically in the mid-2000s when we were in college, the the big the problem with this, season, this series for Georgia was that fundamentally uh, every Urban Meyer coach team, generally speaking, was just more talented than every Mark Rick coach team at a pure level. But that's not necessarily the case this year. If you look at the last five classes for these two teams, which is basically like that's sort of the bulk of your that's that's who is on your team right now georgia's last five classes per 24 7 um, composite were first third sixth sixth and eighth florida's last five classes were 14th 11th 12th 21st and 9th this is this we have a more talented team than them that doesn't mean we're going to win but i think it's worth pointing out and i think ultimately what it but what this game boils down to is this is it's time for georgia to stop making excuses and play like the team that it is um and we can get into this when we get into project predictions in terms of what i think is going to happen but i think that's really what it boils down to if both of these teams play the same level of percentile performance game georgia's going to win the game and now florida is going to have a hand and if we play a low percentile performance game but if we play up to our ability and they play up to theirs we're going to win um and I think that's ultimately what it boils down to. But, hey, I think you also have some really good uh, stats that kind of support that in terms of uh, stuff from Ryan Ryan Nelson, one of our very close friends. Yeah, this is uh, best man at my wedding, Ryan Nelson. So he texted me yesterday and he said, um, don't shoot me, I'm just the messenger. But he, he he's a data analyst is his day job, which he doesn't have a night job, but, you know, that's his job. Anyway, so he, he kind of threw all this at me uh, to kind of support his argument to why Georgia will win. And he has a, a pretty big uh, margin that he thinks Georgia will win by. So I'm going to read this word for word, and I'll read it in a way that is slow enough for everybody to hear and understand. So you can add us with questions if you have. Or you can read, um, if you can find Ryan on social media, which he's not as active as we are, um, you can go directly to him. Anyway, he says, well, first, it all starts with Dan Mullen. He is 75 and 47 all time for a 0.615 win percentage. That's pretty good, but you have to control for opponent. Mullen is 1-4 in, in his career against teams from the state of Georgia. That is a 0.2 uh, win percentage. Much worse. If you want to calculate his win total factor, which he goes on to call WTF, uh, you multiply his overall win percentage, 0.617, by his controlled win percentage to get 0.123. Multiply that by his games coached to get 15. That is his win total factor, or WTF. Now, for seasonal adjustments... Florida once scored only 13 points this season. They have allowed 27 two times. To get the necessary point adjustment, you have to subtract 54, which is 27 twice, from 13 to get negative 41. Now we have his career measure and his season measure. When you find the sum of the two, you get negative 26. That is his projected point margin this week. Of course, that is an estimate because there is, of course, a range of error. And since both teams in the game have five wins, the... That's not correct. Um... The range is both have six. They both have six wins. Yeah, they both have six wins. So the range would actually be plus or minus six. So the potential range is uh, for this. He said negative twenty three to negative thirty one is kind of the range we're looking at. It doesn't really affect that much, but 
all that to say, he thinks based off of coaching, uh, because these teams are somewhat evenly matched with the dogs still having a, a, a further depth of talent, he thinks that this will come down to coaching because of Dan Mullen and his career. Uh, anyway, he slices it, he says dogs win by 21 more. That's crazy. That I just really want to know, like, did he just make that up? Oh, yeah. He does this for fun. That's amazing. Isn't that awesome? It's good stuff. Yeah. I'll, um, I might even just throw that on the show notes, uh, just as a, 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 or even I'll throw that on our, no, I'll throw it on the show notes for everybody to see. So if, if you need to read that back through, because uh, I am a very visual person, uh, I would need to, <laughs> to read that as well. So that's that's pretty you. crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I like those stats. I, I I do think that the body of work statistically, pretty much any way you slice it, is better for Georgia than it is for Florida. And again, I want to emphasize this: like Florida can definitely win this game and has like a pretty good chance to win. But I think you have to balance that out. I think we, right now, everyone from you know everyone other than Bill Connolly and sort of the sharps is basically looking at this game. Uh, with a really huge recency bias and you can't do that it's not useful to do right you it's not useful to say well these two teams are the last game they played because they're not and if you look at all six games that they played like georgia has a more impressive body of work that's just what it is i mean that <laughs> there's really no uh, there's really nothing else to say about it that's just how it is so i i'm not really sure to me personally i don't really know um it's it's hard for me to get a handle on this game because Georgia has just had such a nightmare when it comes to Jacksonville, has so many nightmares coming into Jacksonville. But I, I really think if we're going to be objective about it, you have to kind of look at it the way he looks at it. Yeah. So, Whew. And you know, this is a good one. Since 2010, it's been four and four for both teams. So this will be the series that breaks us or the, the game that breaks the series in a way. Before we get into things you want to see in over-unders, let's go to halftime. So this is a quick halftime break to talk about our sponsor for this episode, which is GoMed. We talked a little bit about GoMed a couple episodes ago, and they're back again on this Florida review. But to tell you a little bit more about GoMed, I have some uh, some stats because this is, of course, a stats-based podcast. So I have some stats real quick. So in the early 1930s, house calls by doctors were they, – they kind of um, – they made up about 40% of doctor-patient meetings. And by 1980, it was only down to 0.6%. So um, since then, house calls have been reserved for the old, the sickly, and the too wealthy. But with GoMed, that's no longer the issue is kind of what they're going for. GoMed is an organization that's mostly comprised of nerdy UGA alums like you and I uh, that believe quality healthcare should not be relegated to just brick and mortar. So for most, going to the doctor or hospital isn't just expensive, it's uncomfortable and strange, and truly nobody likes it. Uh, I know that, you know, something I mentioned last time is that you were sick last time, and uh, you did not go to the doctor. No, I didn't. No, nobody. Actually, no, I eventually did, because I got pink eye. Oh, gross. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if, instead of getting uh, giving pink eye to other people, they could have come and seen Nathan at his home, in the comfort yeah. of his own home, which he never and wants to leave. And pink eye themselves, but yes. Nathan leaves <laughs> home way better. for two things. Football. I'm pink eye. <laughs> pink eye. <laughs> uh, anyway, GoMed wants to serve folks in the place they're most comfortable, which is their homes, of course. What a novel idea, right? It's so crazy. Um, they're not reinventing the wheel, but they are definitely getting back to the basics. And if you take the facility out of the equation, the visit becomes safer, more convenient, and just overall more pleasant for you and your loved ones. That's GoMed. You can go see them at GoMed.net. They did want us to mention that they do have some locations uh, around Charleston, specifically Daniel Island and Mount Pleasant. So if we have any Charleston listeners, you have GoMed options up there. But go check out their map. They have a, a bunch of different uh, options there on GoMed.net. They are 
mainly located in the Atlanta area, and they're looking to expand. So go check them out. Yeah. They're great people. They are really good folks. Highly, highly recommend. Five out of five. Hey, Barrett. Goodbye again. Barrett, it's me saying hey to you on our podcast. Hey, bud. All right. Let's talk about things we want to see. Let's get out of halftime. Third quarter adjustment. So um, all I wrote down in things I want to see is just RTDB like 10 times. Um, you sure did. Yeah. So we got to run the ball. We got to run the ball efficiently. We got to get back to what we're going to do. Uh, I think, you know, there's a question as to whether or not this should be a more RPO oriented team. This should be more of a Justin Fields style running team. But really, I think that's kind of academic because at the end of the day, what this team does the best is run the ball. And that's just what it is right now. And and maybe that's not what we're going to be doing the best at the end of the year. But I think that this is a game that if UGA can come up with one, if UGA has a 100-yard rusher in this game, we're going to probably win the Ooh, game. Oh, yeah. I think that's what it boils down to. Um, and if we can get, you know, 250 yards on the ground combined, I think we have a very, very good chance of running the game. So those are kind of my benchmarks is 100-yard rusher, 250 yards on the ground. Um, those things happen, no problem. And, you know, I... That's all kind of like, well, yeah, of course, that's true. But I think it's especially true in this game in particular because they are a team that is not very good um, in terms of like just explosiveness on either side of the ball. I mean, they're very good at causing at causing havoc plays, but in terms of like allowing explosiveness and creating explosiveness, that's just not what they're what they're um, that's not their forte. And so, if we can make this game a Georgia game where it's just like sort of run the ball for five yards a carry. Um, they're gonna have a really hard time. Uh, things I want to see. I I think I kind of echoed you there. I said stop the run. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a mirror. I just want to make sure that we get back to. We've figured something out. Is what I'm thinking. And I know uh, a lot of articles I've read recently, and you've kind of talked about them a little bit. Is that freshman Jordan Davis is going to be a big factor in this game, um, in terms of stopping the run? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean Jordan Davis. I read this thing about him where he came in at about 350 pounds on his own outside of practice. He's done running and gotten like gotten that down to like 310. It's insane. But he, his body is sort of the prototypical run stopping d- defensive tackle body, right? Six, six, 310, 320, something like that. Um, just, just a dude who is really good at taking on multiple blocks. And really we don't need him to be like a just dominant Terrence Cody type. We need, well, actually we need him to do what Terrence Cody actually did for the Alabama defense, which was not all the sacks. The value of, ter- of a guy like Terrence Cody or a guy like Jordan, um, Jordan Davis in the best sense is that he takes up multiple blocks and keeps our linebackers clean, especially since we know our inside linebackers have had a hard time getting caught up in traffic, having poor eye discipline. Every extra man that is not trying to engage one of our linebackers is good is good for our team specific. I mean, it's always good, but it's really good for this team when you're having problems with a inside linebacker. And so I think that, you know, he had seven tackles against LSU. I think that he's only going to continue to get better. And I'm excited to see, I, I think he's really one of our defensive keys going forward. It's just his, if he can play on first and second down consistently and like just stay on the field on third down and not be a liability, we have a much better chance of winning. So that's, that's, that's where I am. Yeah. I also wrote in big caps, no dink and dunk here, my dudes. <laughs> we got to stop the dink and the dunk. Yeah, we can't get dink and dunked. But I also think that if we can run the ball, then it won't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah Because, yeah. Because, I mean, if we run the ball enough and get a lead, it's going to force them to try to, you know. They're going to have to pass. We want to make Felipe Franks pass. We really, really want to make Felipe Franks pass. 
because yeah. that's and he's a good he's a pretty good quarterback he but he's limited in a lot of ways he's limited he's definitely limited in that game he cannot he's not really the kind of quarterback that's going to uh just efficiently like pick apart the defense he's good for explosive plays he's good on his feet and if we can stop the run game and we can get ahead early and control the ball mm-hmm. on offense then i think we have a much better chance of forcing felipe frank's hand and making him throw it more often hopefully mm-hmm. <laughs> is what i'm hoping for or they just continue to run it no matter what who knows what happens really yeah well i mean the thing is if if we can run consistently it really screws them up in a lot of ways because they can they can run blitz pretty consistently but you know throwing on top of run blitzes is way easier than throwing on top of a pass blitz and and making them commit extra men to the box for run defense will open up our pass game it'll make them go against their tendencies it'll keep them from rushing 10 every time we snap the ball so i mean i think there's a lot that's to me that's really the key can we run the ball if we can run the ball and we are willing to stick to running the ball i think that really opens up a lot of things for this team it's an interesting situation because one thing i do want to see is i I would like to see more rpos and this is an interesting situation where we have um, with our two qbs and their strengths and their opportunities as well but Jake Fromm has such great field perception, field awareness, that he can read the coverage and understand exactly what's going to happen, especially with this team and Todd Grantham as their defensive coordinator. Like We, we kind of know exactly what he's going to do more often than not, I feel. And Jake Fromm retains a lot of information, and he's able to make decisions on the fly a lot quicker than other quarterbacks at the same level. Um, however, Justin Fields is the better RPO candidate for sure, just because he's better at running. Um, he doesn't have the same experience and, and field awareness, I would say, as Jake Fromm yet. But it's kind of one of those interesting things that if they were one quarterback, oh, God, it would be like the best fusion, like Dragon Ball Z fusion style of all time. Because I, I do really think we're going to need to be able to uh, make decisions on the fly to, to do well in this game. That's all. <laughs> now I just am imagining the two of them doing the thing where they lean over and touch touch fingers. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Um but if we do play Justin Fields, and I, I could see him in a better capacity to to succeed in that situation. I don't think he's there yet. Um, and I read a really interesting article from his coach recently, too, about that. It's like his high school career did prepare him to do this because he's running a lot of plays that he ran in high school already. However, he's just not, he doesn't have the playbook as memorized as Jake Fromm does. And so it's going to take a little bit more time to gain that experience and, and understand defenses mm-hmm. on the fly like he does. So. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he woke up one day and he downloaded like the Wikipedia article on college football defenses, <laughs> like straight to his brain. Yeah, just just like he 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 is the first person. He's the beginning of the AI singularity. But for now, it's just gonna it's gonna manifest as him being a really good quarterback. That would be nice. They're doing lawn maintenance outside, and I really hope that that's not showing up in like this entire episode. <laughs> Because that'd be awkward. Uh, yeah, I can kind of hear it, but I don't think it's that. Okay. Because they're getting closer to the house right. now, too. Let's get. In. Do you want to do over unders? Yeah, give me one. All right, over under three UGA sacks. I think that's an, o- an under situation, just because I think that we're going to try and limit the run by not blitzing necessarily, but trying to keep it under by pushing uh, our guys back a little bit further and, and kind of watching what they do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I- I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say under two. No, it does make sense to me, but I'm going to say under two, mainly just because I, I think, I think that Florida is going to do go out of their way to avoid situations where we are going to have an obvious blitzing situation. Mine is, I think this will be a lower scoring game. I was telling Ryan yesterday when we were talking about 
that that margin and everything that I think I could see this game being a game where it comes down to our hero of this game is Hot Rod. Like we, you know, we we have some issues. Like our offense gets started a bit better than it did at LSU, but it doesn't get quite as started as we want it to. And the Florida defense is just playing lights out, but their offense also isn't getting started. And so this could be a game where we play like, and it's 20, 25 points total scored. But I think that Georgia is going to come back with something to prove and Florida is going to try and prove themselves, not for the same reasons, but um, I think this will be a higher scoring game because of that. And so mine is over under total points scored 48.5. 48.5. I'm going to take over. I, I think it's not going to be about a lot. I think it's going to be more like a 28 to 21 game, but I think I see like you're just asking me can can we can we score six touchdowns between these two teams? And I feel I feel pretty confident on that. I think that could definitely happen. I'm going to say under just cuz I I want to see a game where Hot Rod's a hero. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I feel you. Yeah. Uh over under 10 Justin Field snaps. I'm going to say over. Yeah, I think I think they might have learned their lessons. I think I'm so too. I think they're going to use their weapons the way they need to be used, and I think it's time yeah, for Justin Fields only, to come out. If only as a decoy. If you only put them, that's why I didn't put carries or passes because it's like I don't even really care what he does. It's just like it makes no sense to leave him on this on the side on the sidelines. I'm really tired of him coming in for just one play at a time too. It really throws off everyone's momentum. Uh, I had in the same realm of thought Justin Fields seven and a half passes thrown today. His average passes thrown right now is, I think, hovering right around the, like a five or six range. And so, what do we think is going to come um, out of him? I'm going to say under, and that's purely just because I think Kirby knows that this is one of the better pass defenses we're going to face. But I, I, I think the number might go up. I could see six or seven, but eight feels like a lot. Yeah, eight. Eight know, is the most he's thrown all season. I'm going to say under. Do you think well, this actually. is going to? You going to say under? Yeah. Okay. I, he talked me out of it. <laughs> Over under. Let's say over under 1.5 Felipe Franks interceptions. Okay. I think I think we could get two out of him. I, two seems I mean, reasonable. Two, at this, okay, so at this point this year, Felipe Franks is 103 for 182. He's got 15, pit, or 15 touchdowns and five interceptions and a 56% completion rate. I think we can. Right. I don't think he's... I don't think he's... Pay, so to this point this year... He has played the games he's played is he's played Charles and Sunny Charles and Southern Kentucky, Colorado State, Tennessee, Mississippi State, LSU. So LSU by far is the best defense he's faced uh in terms of pass defense. Mississippi State is a close second just because how good their defensive line is. But uh against LSU, he was seventeen for eighty five. Oh no, that's sorry. Uh, he was twelve for twenty seven for hundred and sixty one yards and a pick. So I'm I'm going to say under, because I said one, and at one, I might have said push, but I'm going to say under at 1.5. Okay. I'm going to go with Initially, over. I said one. You're going to say over? Okay. Just to, one, be different, and two, because I think two is not that crazy. I think that's reasonable. If we really do get our offense started, and we get ahead, yeah, and we will try and pass. see more explosive plays out of Felipe Franks trying to, to you know, throw down the field, and Mike pull something out maybe you know i I imagine they're going to target tyson campbell as lsu did they targeted him i think six times or no they they broke him six times uh they targeted him way more than that but i imagine that's the way they're going to go and maybe we'll start playing more towards that or maybe tyson campbell has you know learned a bit more and worked on that who knows Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean i think at some point the light turns on for tyson campbell and he becomes he's a freshman and so he's due 
You know what I'm saying? He's gotten picked on a lot, but the bat, the 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 sort of the flip side of getting picked on as a freshman is that eventually you figure it out. And so if the light turns on, I can see him having to pick this game. Um, my last over under is Florida's yards per carry at four point five. Their average yards per carry. Jordan Scarlett has five point four. Lamichael P Ryan has five point four. Felipe Franks has three point seven. I'm going to say... This is hovering right below average, I think. Yeah, I'm going to say 4.5, huh? Yeah, that's a that's a really good over-under because it's hard. <laughs> and if at under, yeah, we definitely... I think we have a much better chance of winning this game if it's under. Um, over, we have uh, closer to a higher point game on our hands. Uh, 4.5, I'm going to say under. Or, no, I'm going to say over on 4.5. Okay. That's a very, very tough thing to accomplish. But, yeah, I was going to say we have if if we do that we're probably going to win. Yeah, if we do that we win. I think for sure. But I I do think I I see a scenario in which that happens, especially if they try and run it a bunch, which they might just do. They just keep running, keep running, keep running. And so that brings that average down if they're not getting anything any traction. Do you want to get into predictions? Yeah. So SP Plus has this game at a six point five point difference with UG on the late uh, coming out on top. UJ has a 64.64% chance to win. So it's closer to a coin toss than we would like for it to be. At the beginning of the season started, it was, I think it was hovering around like 85%. But Florida's gotten better. And, um, you know, we, we've seen the weaknesses this team has. And it matches up well with the strengths that Florida has. So what are you thinking? You want to go first? You want to go second? You don't want to go? Here's the here's the fundamental. They're... they're I, there's some a couple of things I believe about sports over the long term, and this is when I'm having to talk myself into this. This isn't like necessarily a rant to the listeners; this is a rant to me, because when I pick this game, it's easy for me to fall into the subjective narratives about it. Just because the subjective narratives of UGA isn't ready, UGA is less physical; those have just been the truth for several, several, several years, um, especially when it comes to this game. And so, but. Fundamentally, what I believe about sports is the two things that bat last, the two things that that survive the sort of ravages of sample size are talent and numbers. And, you know, everything else is just sort of luck. And if you look at the talent on these teams and you look at the numbers on these teams, this should be a, if not easy, but then comfortable UGA win. And man, does it feel like Florida has the momentum going into this game? And man, does it feel bad to be an LS, to be a Georgia fan after that LSU loss? But Georgia is the more talented team here. And I think this is the game where you have to prove what the rest of this season is going to be as if you're Georgia's team. Because if you're Georgia's team and you're as good as your talent says you are, then you win this game, not going away, but comfortably. You win this game by 10 points. And if you're not, then you don't. And so, and you know, a lot of it is going to be have, have to do with how well Florida comes to play. But if Georgia plays its A game, it's going to be hard for for Florida to win this game. And that doesn't mean that Florida can't. It just means that I think Georgia is more talented. I think we should win. And it's hard to just call for a win in this rivalry just because so often we should have won but didn't. But at the end of the day, this is a team that we beat forty-two to nothing last year. Which different situation? Coached by uh, a coach whose team we beat 30 to nothing last year. Again, different situation. Do I think it's going to be a blowout? No, I don't. But I do think that this is going to be a, a Georgia win. And I think there's going to be a Georgia win by 7 to 10 points. Um, mainly just because I think talent 
ultimately talent prevails. Um, and in the past nine meetings between Kirby Smart and Jan Mullen, with Kirby Smart as a coordinator or as a head coach, Kirby Smart is nine and zero. So it's not like that. There's a schematic. There are there are a lot of schematic advantages that Dan Mullen brings you, but it's not like that Kirby Smart doesn't know them. So I'm gonna. My prediction is gonna be Florida twenty, UGA twenty eight. I'm on the fence right now about whether or not I want to go with my gut or for the sake of Ryan Nelson, go with his gut <laughs> and just play to it and kind of see what happens. Cause if I really play into what his prediction said, then this would be at least a 21 point spread with UGA uh, winning it. And I think he was thinking it was more of um, a game where UGA scores somewhere in the thirties. And then I guess, you know, Florida would have to be somewhere in the teens, like early teens um and potentially more you know i don't think it's going to be the 42-7 win that we had last year that's a very different not a very different team from last year in a lot of ways we're a lot better uh, in a lot of ways we're just different so i don't think we're going to see something like that i don't think we're going to see a blow up any means it's going to be a really entertaining game for sure and i am super excited to watch it uh when's the last time we had a game where these two teams were so closely matched it was like it had to have been like uh maybe in the aughts um yeah sometime in the odds it was 2009 2010 something like that i'm gonna say uga 31 and florida 17 damn that's brave yeah it is really brave it's really stupid <laughs> we'll see because <laughs> this could yeah, be a game like where it. we lose we, we you know easily and yeah th- this might look like a really stupid prediction for you but if it doesn't it's gonna look really awesome yeah it's gonna look really really cool um I also see this game potentially being like a nine to three game. Like I, I don't foresee it being a blowout for anybody necessarily. I don't even consider thirty one seventeen being a blowout by any means. But I, I don't think, I don't know. I, I don't like that prediction. But that's that's what I'm going to go with. I like it. Let's get into ask CBC. Um. <laughs> I really enjoyed. We got one from Banshee Radio that just said, "Stop, pull over. I got to take a gator." That's and I gave it a song. That's not even a question. It's just all right. So EJ Brown, dogs underscore luck on Twitter. Anecdotally, it seems like a good team coming off a loss has a psychological advantage, especially when the next game is a must-win. See LSU versus UGA. Are there any stats that support this, or is it just confirmation bias? I'm hoping this plays out in UGA's favor this week. Unfortunately, since it's a psychological advantage, I don't really think that this is quantifiable in the sense that it's hard to define um, the set of games that you'd be looking at. I do know that the bye week gives you two or three points per Bill Connolly. He had something on that a few years ago. Um, but, of course, they also had a bye week coming into the game. Um, I would think, and this is not, I, I can't, to answer your question, no, I can't confirm this statistically. But I do think there is something to the idea that UGA has just gotten in this whole week. And if you're Kirby Smart, you probably like that, right? <laughs> so I think... I think that does play in UGA's favor, but I'm not sure if it, I think it just plays in UGA's favor in terms of how focused the team is. And so that's good, but I don't, you know, that's not going to be enough to win the game. Ben, and he gave us a, he's coming at us with a spooky uh, Halloween handle this month. It's Ben, in quotes, your existence is an accident with spooky emojis, Shepard. His is, how does William Gibson's quote, the future is already here. It's just not equally distributed, relate to UGA football or anything else, he said in parentheses. And I know you, you had already mentioned that this will be this could be its own episode. So if you want this could to be go like further, a spin-off later, podcast. But... This could be like the, the beginning of us just having a non football podcast, like just this question. Okay. So uh let me start. Let me see if I can get this as quick as possible. Give me a second. 
Okay. So one of the core ethoses of, well, I would say all of new science, a lot of new science fiction, but in particular cyberpunk, which rose up in the eighties, one of the core philosophies or themes that um, cyberpunk and many modern sci-fi works have explored is the idea that the, the, the intersection between economy and technology is really defining the future. So cyberpunk was really obsessed with these giant corporations that controlled everything. And that's not quite the vision that we see of the future now, but it is sort of um, the, this quote sort of keys into the idea that uh, the like income inequality and how much money you make has a direct relationship to how you how quickly you get to access future technology and how like for people that are the, for the mega rich and for corporations a lot of these things that we've dreamed of for a long time already exist. So as for how this re- relates to UGA, I actually think it. I think it relates a lot to UGA, if only in the sense that UGA is definitely one of the... If we're dividing college football into the haves and the haves-nots, UGA is definitely one of the haves, despite how much we like to complain about you know, the state of our athletic department. We definitely have a lot of money and a lot of resources. And I think that that has allowed us to get some systemic advantages against other teams that we haven't already had. And I, I would say that when we talk about sort of the death of the Georgia way, one of the things that we're talking about is the... Uh, the willingness to employ the resources we have in the most purely efficient and sort of opportunistic way possible, right? Which means you want to get any tiny advantage you can over your opponent using the newest possible ideas and technology, regardless of whatever the sort of moral imperative is for you um, in terms of how you spend your money. Um, And, you know, distribution of technology and distribution of wealth is, I think, one of the defining, one of the defining, one of the defining sort of challenges for our age and for our children as we go forward in, if only in the sense that, you know, a lot of the problems that we have in this country today and even writ large, but also like sort of in the NCAA itself are about distribution of wealth and distribution of technology. Right. Um, it is unfortunately true that teams with money ha- can afford better health scientists, which means they can keep their players healthier, which from sort of a purely athletic sense makes, you know, it's something you want to do to, you know, be able to be a better team, but also just means that basically your, your players have a better survival rate over the long term. And so I think that's like sort of what, that's sort of the, the pure impact of distribution of technology on the NCAA. Uh, our very last ask CBC is from ATA presidents uh, at ATA underscore presidents on Twitter. Ask CBC exactly how much do you hate the Gators? Don't hold back. And this was a question from last week, but we, we held um, your true answer for this week. So, well, do you want to answer this first? I always feel like I always rant about Florida, but I like, you know, you're a newer Georgia fan than I am. But I am. Not by a lot. I mean, I don't have, I don't attach the same. It's funny because you, you are definitely more of the robot than I am. And I tend to be more generally an emotional person, at least with very specific things. For football, I don't attach as much negative emotion to it as I do positive emotion. And so it's hard for me to rant the way you do. The thing I, I dislike about the Gators and what I've disliked about the Gators football program, which I felt has changed under Dan Mullen, uh, at least somewhat, was that before, like, there, there are certain teams out there that get away with a lot more, I feel. And there's a certain culture attached to a program, like the Gators, like LSU, like Auburn. Like, there's these, these, these teams where they let their players get away with a lot more on the field, and they're much more egocentric. In the media, they would have uh, originally and have in the past called them thuggish which is inherently racist yeah, and dog not whistle, okay. Dog whistle racism. But there is definitely a culture at some of these programs that is not tied to their race or the color of their skin that it, it lets these players get away with a lot more that I feel doesn't happen as much at Georgia, which is why I appreciate our team, which is why I am a Bulldogs fan, which is 
why I, I just don't enjoy these games as much. And so if I, you were to ask me how or why or to quantify my hate for these programs, it's definitely derived from that observation and the way that they treat other players without respect. And I don't like that. And, you know, that's that's kind of where that comes from. Just that egocentric attitude and that culture that surrounds these programs. And like I said, I don't think that's a thing that Dan Mullen does. Um, and I, I haven't seen it as much uh, watching Florida games this year. But I, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily count it out yet because it's only been seven games under Dan Mullen. Right now, it's been... Is this the second season? This first this season. Is first, okay, yeah. So there's only seven games under Dan Mullen. So we, we, we really don't know yet. We'll see. But that's that's to how I answer my question. I don't I can't get into it as much as you do. You have a lot more to say, and it's all, always more eloquent and literary. <laughs> um, David Reese is a linebacker at Florida who said of uh, uh, Elijah Holyfield this year that we're all linebackers. We're all capable of trucking him back. So we got this. And then one of their other linebackers, uh, Campbell, said that. I'm not going to attack. I ain't going to attack. Talk no smack. All I'm going to say is that we are going to play our game, and we're going to talk between the muscles. And then later on, he said that if we play our game plan, UJ will have nowhere to go. And I think that sort of like illustrates my fundamental issue with Florida as a program. I fully acknowledge that all a lot of we said this last year, but I fully acknowledge that a lot of college football rivalries are sort of just like <laughs> totally absurd. And fully just have to go to go down to with like the consequences and the randomness and chance of birth. But the thing I really hate about Florida is that you can't is their insistence on being simultaneously arrogant and humble. The insistence that I'm not going to talk smack, but and then talking smack. That to me fundamentally is is the core of the Florida program, right? Is the like is Tim Tebow, you know, saying that he's a good Christian guy and focusing so hard on like circumcising babies in Honduras or whatever, but then getting on, getting on to us and then talking crap about Georgia and then like running around the stadium and gator shopping after a win, right? Tim Tebow claiming to be this like, you know, sports broadcaster that keeps that plays things straight and plays things down the middle, but then going off on this big rant about how we got out efforted. And like, to me, that's like, that's the fundamental thing. It's like, it's not dog whistle racism, but it's like dog whistle arrogance. It's like you can't it's like you want to not be arrogant if you're a Florida team, but you also want to be arrogant because you have that Florida swagger and you can either choose one or the other. And one of the things that like pisses me off the most is that like Georgia fans are horrible, but it seems like in the SEC, Georgia fans have the, this reputation as being like the worst fans or whatever. And to me, it's like, have you guys been around a Florida fan <laughs> like ever, ever? Like Georgia fan has hor- Georgia fans have horrible sidewalk fans who have never been to Georgia, but they've always you know they don't they didn't go to Georgia, but they've always been Georgia fans and they just say awful things. But like, have you ever seen a Florida fan? I like I don't even know what else to say about it. It's like the the just like this mysterious mix of full and total arrogance and insistence insistence that like you know we do things the right way. It's it's like. Their hypocrisy to me is second only to Auburn's in the SEC of just their total insistence that they can have flash and substance simultaneously, which they can't. So that's one thing that pisses me off. Uh, But that's not really like, I just saw that quote and it just made me so pissed off. Yeah, It's like, oh yeah, if we do our game plan right, they won't be able to do anything. Of of course you can't. Like that's that's the way football works. If you do the play right, then they can't do anything. Like Jesus Christ, like God it's like as though like you've discovered some second level of ascendance when it comes to football you dumb piece of jesus <laughs> christ oh my god oh my god okay so here's the thing fundamentally i hate about florida fundamentally 
I've been to Auburn games. I've been to Georgia Tech games. I've been to games against LSU. I've played. I've been to games against literally every every rival that Georgia has. I've been to every one of those games, and I've been there in a uniform that makes me the target of the worst that the fan base has to offer. Right, and the only time I have ever had someone try to get in a fist fight with me was at Florida. That's it. That's that's the fundamental problem. Right. The only time I've ever had someone and his meth head ass girlfriend run up to me and shove me around because he had the gall to tie his shoe on my crap. I, I just, I can't even talk about it. It makes me so angry. Right. And that's, that's, that's the thing. Ultimately, this is all stupid. And I don't personally hate every Florida fan and I don't personally hate the university of Florida and hope it dies. But when I get down there and see, like I say that now, but as soon as I get down there and I see all these Florida fans and I see just the, the, the hatred they have for me, all I, I just, I'm like, okay, well fine. it. I, maybe I do hate all of you pieces of Jesus Christ. It's like, I can't have an interaction with a Florida fan without them being simultaneously insulting, arrogant, hypocritical and holier than thou. It's like this like witch's brew of bull it's jesus oh it's like you can either have one thing or the other either you can try to pretend to be the better than you auburn youth minister or you can just admit that you're trash and be like every lsu fan and throw bourbon bottles at each other and ultimately i respect both of those choices because you're being honest with who you are the problem with florida fans is that they want to be the youth minister that sells meth <laughs> fundamentally it's infuriating Jesus Christ, you can either be better than me or you can be stronger or you can be like trashier and scarier than me. You can't be both. All right. That's all I got. Oh, man. It gets me worked up just listening to you. I don't even know how long that was. I, I, I like really, you really blacked rage out blacked out. That was good. Anyway, this has been our show. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If- <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know why that was so funny with me. Just like, and f- you pieces of God, long pause. Anyway, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. This is our very lovely show called Chapel Bell Curve. I hope you enjoyed it. You could, you just had to put like literally three minutes of beeps into this podcast. And then like, and then you're just like, you're the ultimate like straight man in this comedic duo. Oh yeah, for sure. You're the Laurel to my hearty. Anyway. (laughs) That's just kind of our our natural aesthetic anyway. So it doesn't really, don't go too far. Yeah. Anyway, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. You probably listen to us on iTunes or Google Play or maybe Spotify or anywhere else you subscribe to a podcast. And we thank you for that. If you liked it today, then be sure to leave us a rating or review because that gets us in front of other people. There are all sorts of algorithms and formulas that we don't understand that people at iTunes make that make sure that our podcast gets in front of other people that might enjoy it as well. Uh, you're also welcome to share it with your friends on your way or on your, while you're on your way down to Jacksonville. Why not? You know, if you're down at Frat Beach... Grab your closest Bluetooth speaker and just blare our boring nerdy podcast on the beach. Hey, and let's be honest: if you're at, if you're at, if you're down there at uh, if you're down there at Frat Beach, you're gonna have to listen to like Georgia Florida Line the whole time. Uh, so you might as well. I mean, honestly, what's what, what's the disadvantage on that yeah. one? They're just they're just different, you know. You will hear a lot yeah. of Florida Georgia Line though, and I forgot about you them really will until just you really now. will. The worst part about Florida Georgia Line is that when you say the phrase Florida Georgia Line, it you have to say it like. I don't know. It's, you, you say their name every time you talk about geography. It's infuriating. You can also, if you want to be on the show next time, you're welcome to add us with a hashtag AskCBC, and your questions will be on the show as well. We will be back for the Florida Review next week on Tuesday, and so you can get back with us uh, with any questions between now and then. Also, thanks to Bill Connolly for unknowingly letting us use his stats, and also thanks to GoMed for sponsoring this episode. Thank you guys. Very, very, very 
happy about that. And if you uh, or anybody you know really enjoys the show and you have an extra dollar to throw our way, we do have a Patreon, and you're welcome to hop on there if your cup overfloweth. If you're in a situation that you want to give us any dollars that you have earned um, with your hard time, your hard time. <laughs> Your, your hard time, yeah, dollars, not your prison any, time. Any of the, even the prison script that you earned when you were in Folsom. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we would really appreciate that. There are a few folks out there that uh, we, we are very grateful for that donate to our Patreon. But if you do, you get those episodes completely unedited, not completely unedited, but um, uncensored rather. Uh, so you get all of the things that make their way to Patreon that you wouldn't get normally on the public piece, which is uh, sometimes... Nathan's political rants, anything that may be off color or um, alienating in any way to any sort of or like people, the uncensored three or four minutes, uh, the, the last three or four minutes of the show. Yeah, you'll hear all that. Um, so thanks to all you guys for being a part of that. But anyway, uh, until next time, when we see you in the classic city, I know Nathan will catch you probably in Jacksonville at some point. So if you see a, a big old boy that wants to talk and yell about the dogs and say hi to him. But mm-hmm. until then, go dogs. Go dogs.